Please be seated. And let's pray together. Father, we've just sung these words and now we echo them in prayer that as we turn to these verses from your word tonight, that you would grant us grace, almighty Lord, to read and mark your holy word and to receive its truths with meekness and then to live by its holy precepts. Father, we pray for your blessing and help now as we turn to these things. We pray it all for our own growth in godliness and for your glory's sake. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I could invite you to take your Bibles and uh, to turn with me please to that short passage of scripture which we read earlier on in our service. It's Luke chapter 20. Uh, we start this evening at verse 45 and we're going through to verse 4 of chapter 21. We've had a, a bit of a break over the Easter holidays uh, from Luke's gospel but tonight we're coming back to it and we're picking up the story where we left off and uh, I hope you recall where we're at in Luke's great narrative, his account of the life of Jesus. It is Holy Week and Jesus is spending the day in the temple preaching the gospel. That's what the start of the chapter tells us. And whilst he's there, one after another after another of these different groups of religious teachers and religious leaders come up to him and they challenge him perhaps about a, a certain doctrine or a certain aspect of his ministry. And we've seen in this series that there have been five of these such discussions or debates or controversies, one after another, that day in the temple. And of course, each and every time, Jesus won hands down. If I just have a quick glance at how this series of debates finishes in chapter 20, verse 44. Notice there, Jesus asks a question and there is no answer forthcoming. So that question, that final question, is just left hanging and the opponents are all silenced. And so Jesus, having shut up these religious teachers, now turns to his disciples to speak to them directly. But notice that Luke tells us in verse 45 that what Jesus said next is not just for the disciples, it's said in the hearing of all the people. So Jesus is speaking particularly to his disciples, but he wants everyone to hear this. The whole crowd of people who were in the temple that day along, of course, with these religious leaders with whom Jesus had been engaging in these various debates and controversies. And Jesus has got two things that he wants to say. Uh, firstly, he wants to warn us about false religion. And then secondly, in stark contrast to that, he wants to show us what true religion looks like. 
Now, of course, when Luke wrote his gospel, there were no chapter divisions. These were added, of course, much later. And whoever it was that divided Luke's gospel into its 24 chapters, uh, we can see made a bit of a mistake here. Because these two little sections that we're looking at tonight really belong together. There's no need for there to be a chapter division separating them. Uh, They're intended to be read side by side. In the first section, Jesus speaks about false religion. In the second section, he speaks about true religion. In the first section, he gives a word of condemnation. And in the second section, he gives a word of commendation. In the first section, he speaks about widows having money taken off them. And then in the second section, we have the story of a widow giving money freely. And so they belong together. We see these two little paragraphs. So let's have a look at them now. And in the first, as I mentioned, Jesus is saying to us, beware false religion. Beware false religion. Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but the whole crowd is listening in. And the scribes themselves, of course, are listening in. And Jesus says loud and clear, beware of the scribes. Now, at the start of this chapter, remember, it was the scribes, along with the chief priests and the elders, who had come up to Jesus whilst he was preaching in the temple. And they had tried to undermine his authority, question his authority. And then following that, Jesus then told the parable of the wicked tenants. And that parable put the finger on the sinfulness and the culpability of the scribes and the chief priests in their rejection of Jesus. And then following that, the scribes had then come up with this plan to try and trip Jesus up by asking him this question about politics and paying taxes. And so in one sense, it comes as no surprise for us to hear now Jesus warning his followers about the scribes. And yes, indeed, they may hold an important office in the life of first century Judaism. And yet Jesus is saying that doesn't mean that they themselves are trustworthy. And Jesus points out to us here three telltale signs of false religion and false teaching that were so evident in these scribes. And the first is pride. Pride. Verse 46, Jesus mentions, notice there, four different ways in which the pride of these scribes becomes manifest. Firstly, Jesus says, these scribes like to walk around in long robes. In other words, they were ostentatious. They put on airs. Uh, They dressed themselves up like kings or like priests. They dressed in these expensive, lavish robes, all of which were designed to draw attention to themselves, draw attention to their own importance. And then secondly, their pride was seen in the way that they loved greetings in the marketplaces. That is, they loved to be recognized. They loved to be the center of attention. When they walked into the busy marketplace at the heart of the city, 
they enjoyed seeing the heads of the other people who were there uh, turn and, and take notice of them. And then perhaps a, a few people uh, come up to them and greet them. This demonstration of respect, a public recognition of their prominence. And of course, it, it just boosted their ego when that happened. It fueled uh, their pride. And then the third example of their pride is that they loved sitting in the best seats in the synagogues. Most of the congregation in the synagogues in those days would have had to stand. And normally just at the front there would be a row of seats in a very prominent position, just one row of seats. And that would be where the VIPs would sit. That was the VIP enclosure, if you like. Everyone else was standing. They could see who got the seats. These people could be seen by everyone else. And the scribes in their pride, Jesus says, love to be in these places of honor. That's something that James warns us about in his letter, isn't it? James chapter 2, he warns the church about having the best seats in church set aside for the best people. And yet this practice had clearly become very commonplace in first century Judaism, and the scribes loved it. They took advantage of it, loving these places of honor where they looked so important. And then the fourth example of their pride is that they loved the places of honor at feasts. Now, in those days, if you were holding a, a feast, it was very common to have a, a U-shaped table. And the, the host would be at the center, the, the head of the table, and then the other guests would be seated according to their status, according to their dignity. The most dignified guests seated closest to the host, and then the less important people sitting further and further away. And of course, if at all possible, you wanted to be given one of those better seats closest to the head of the table, closest to the host. This is something that Jesus has spoken about previously in Luke's gospel. Perhaps you remember that. He's already criticized the way in which people would clamor for the best seats. And they would do so out of sheer pride. It was back in chapter 14. Jesus was at a dinner party when he said these words. He said, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And here you see Jesus is saying that the scribes are guilty of this pride, desperately wanting to exalt themselves by taking the places of honor at feasts. Beware teachers who are like that, says Jesus. Beware those who are characterized by pride, loving to be first, loving to be recognized, loving to be acknowledged and looked up to by others. Loving to be in the best place. Beware of teachers filled with pride, says Jesus. And that's not the only thing that he criticizes uh, the scribes for. As well as being full of pride, they're also full of greed. And Jesus says that these scribes devour widows' houses. Now what does that mean? 
There are a number of ways in which those words of Jesus have been understood. I think probably that what is being referred to here is the way in which these scribes would have come alongside widows in order to offer them legal advice in managing their estate that was now in their care following the death of their husband. The scribes, of course, were experts in Old Testament law. The law had certain things to say about the care of widows. And these legal experts, these religious teachers, would uh, come alongside these widows and give them advice about how their estate should now be managed. But also, as well as doing that, it appears that the scribes would charge excessively for this legal assistance. And so at first it would appear that they were trying to help, but actually they would just be using this tragedy of this woman's husband's death as an opportunity to line their own pockets. And of course it's completely against God's law. Back in Exodus chapter 22, the law says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. God's law has a special focus upon the care for those who are the most vulnerable in society. Not just widows, but any who are vulnerable in society. Orphans, sojourners, the poor. James writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And these scribes gave only the appearance of caring for these widows in their affliction. And Jesus points out that underneath it all was pure greed, ripping off these widows, taking as much of their estate for themselves as they could get away with. And as Jesus continues, he says that as well as pride and as well as greed, uh, the scribes were also marked with hypocrisy. For a pretense, they make long prayers. In their public praying, be that in the synagogue or the temple or elsewhere, uh, the scribes love to pray long prayers, prayers with long words, prayers with elaborate theology. And it gave the impression to anybody who heard those prayers that these were very pious, very holy, very spiritual people. And of course, Jesus sees straight through it, doesn't he? He says it's all a pretense. It's all hypocrisy. Underneath those pious-looking prayers, their hearts are far from God. Their prayers are just a facade. They're designed to make them look good and receive approval from other people. And again, it stems ultimately from pride, doesn't it? It's just another example of their pride. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls out this kind of hypocritical praying, doesn't he? He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, Jesus is saying there in Matthew chapter 6, God sees straight through this hypocrisy. And if a person prays simply wanting to receive the approval and the admiration and the recognition of those around them, then they may well get that, but that is all they will get. They will get no blessing from God, no reward from him, no answer to their prayer. 
So these, says Jesus, are three hallmarks of the false religion and the false teaching of these scribes. Their lives were shot through with pride and greed and hypocrisy. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, beware these people. Beware listening to teachers who are like that, teachers who are puffed up with pride. And so their ministry is really all about them, all about them gathering a following, all about raising their profile. And they're just in it for the money. And they're hypocritical. The veneer of their ministry masks a heart that is far from God. Beware of teachers like that, says Jesus. But as well as that, of course, beware of becoming like them yourself. Because how easily we slip into these feelings of pride, even as we serve God. It is a constant temptation, isn't it? Haven't I done well in serving God? Aren't my gifts impressive? Aren't I an important Christian? Pride is never far away from our hearts, is it? And we're tempted by greed. Whatever money we have, the temptation is always there to use it selfishly. And hypocrisy is never far from our hearts either. We want to, to keep up our spiritual appearances. We want to look like a good Christian. And yet looking like a good Christian can mask a heart that is drifting further and further from God. A spiritual life that is backsliding. Jesus says, beware of these things. Beware pride. Beware of greed. Beware of hypocrisy. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And to back that up, Jesus then gives this very strong warning at the end of verse 47, doesn't he? He says, they, that is the scribes, and by implication those who are like them, will receive the greater condemnation. J.C. Ryle writes these words. He says, All who will not come to Christ will be finally condemned. But among those who are condemned, who will receive the heaviest condemnation? It will not fall on heathen who never heard the truth. It will not fall on the ignorant and neglected for whose souls, however sunk in profligacy, no man cared. It will fall on those who had great light and knowledge, but made no proper use of it. It will fall on those who professed great sanctity and religiousness, but in reality clung to their sins. In one word, the hypocrites will have the lowest place in hell. These are dreadful things, but they are true. Beware false religion, says Jesus. And the pride and the greed and the hypocrisy of the scribes is then put in stark contrast by this beautiful story which we come to now in the opening verses of chapter 21. And having told us to beware false religion, Jesus shows us now how to pursue true religion. How to pursue true religion. And at this point, Jesus went and sat down and it just so happened that the place where he sat down was directly opposite the treasury of the temple. Now in those days in the temple forecourt there would have been 13 
apparently trumpet-shaped receptacles where you could place your free will offering towards the work of the temple. Uh, perhaps each one labelled with a particular need and you could put your money in whichever category you wanted your donation to go to, a bit like Tesco's when they have those things for different charities. And Jesus is watching uh, these things taking place. And many people are coming forward to make their offering. And most of them, it appears, were rich. And they were putting very large sums of money into these receptacles. Now, of course, in those days, they didn't have paper money or plastic as it is now. And they didn't have those little paper envelopes to put their offering in to gift aid it. Uh, they just had metal coins. And as those metal coins were dropped into this metal receptacle, it would have made a clatter. And so just from the sound, just from the sound, you could have had a pretty good idea of whether that person had put a lot in or, or not very much at all. And whilst this is going on, and whilst Jesus was watching, uh, this poor widow came up to the front to put her offering in the offering box. And Mark, in his account of this story, tells us that at this point, Jesus called the disciples over to him, and he, he got them to watch this woman. And she put in just two small copper coins. Maybe Jesus and the disciples were able to just hear a very faint clink, clink. And that's it. A very, very small, and in monetary terms, a very insignificant amount. In today's money, it was probably about a pound or less that she gave. And having just spoken about the nature and the danger of false religion, and how it's wrapped up in pride and greed and hypocrisy, Jesus will now use this lady as an object lesson in true religion. And if false religion is marked with pride, greed, and hypocrisy, what is true religion like? And Jesus points out here that the hallmark of true religion is sacrificial devotion. Sacrificial devotion. And Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And of course, in literal monetary terms, this lady had hardly given anything at all. Certainly not in comparison to the huge donations that the rich people were offering. They had probably put hundreds of times more into the offering box than she had. And yet Jesus is showing us here that his way of accounting is not like ours. And as someone has put, as well put it, Jesus does not merely count our offerings. Rather, he weighs them. He doesn't count them, he weighs them. And how does he weigh them? Well, as he considers what he's offered, he asks, is this offering an expression of sacrificial devotion to me? That's how he weighs them. And it was in that sense that this poor widow gave more than all the rich people before her. 
because they gave out of their abundance. They had plenty to live, to live on, plenty left over. They could give these vast amounts to the temple and it would have no impact at all upon their lifestyle. It wasn't sacrificial devotion. And yet this poor widow put in all that she had to live on. And she could have easily said to herself, well, I'm just so poor and my husband, who of course was the breadwinner in that culture, uh, has died and I have no one to provide for me so I, I cannot afford to give. She could have said that. Or she might have said, well, I, I've got two little coins so I'm going to give one to the temple and I'll keep the other one for myself. But no, out of remarkable sacrificial devotion, she put in all that she had to live on. And she did so because she trusted that nonetheless her heavenly father would take care of her. He would provide for her. Now what do we learn from this lady well, first of all, it of course applies to our giving, doesn't it? Sometimes people ask, are Christians expected to tithe? Do Christians have to give 10% of their income to God's work? And I think that the answer that the New Testament gives to that is that as Christians, we're not called to a specific percentage in our giving. Rather, we are called to sacrificial devotion in our giving. Now for some people that will mean about 10% of course. And yet for other people it will mean more than that. It's something that we each need to pray about and consider for ourselves given our own circumstances. And the question is when Jesus weighs our offering however large or small it may be whatever particular percentage it may be the question is, does he find it to be an act of sacrificial devotion to him? And I think that this principle applies beyond our giving as well. I think it applies to all of our serving. Now, we all have different levels of gifting, different abilities, different capacities, different time constraints, different opportunities. And it is simply the case that some people can serve in lots of different ministries. And for others, just getting to church on a Sunday can be a real battle. And they just can't be here every week. And as Jesus weighs our service of him, he's not counting what we do and, and totting up a list to see who is the busiest, who's done the most things. No, he doesn't count, he, he weighs and he asks, is this a life of sacrificial devotion to me? As this person serves in that ministry, as they use that gift, as they give their money to the, to the Lord's work, as they raise those children at home, as they witness for me in that workplace, as they carry that burden in their life, are they living a life of sacrificial devotion to me? And it may be the case that you feel that you're giving whatever it is that you give. And you're serving whatever that looks like with your gifts and your opportunities. 
you may feel it doesn't amount to much in your eyes or in the eyes of the world. But there is a wonderful encouragement in this story, isn't there? And I wonder, did that little old lady in the temple that day even realize that Jesus was there? Did it ever occur to her that he was watching? He was taking notice. He was drawing his disciples' attention to her. And as she shuffled away from the offering box, did she feel somewhat inadequate compared to those rich people who were giving so much more? And yet perhaps unbeknownst to her, Jesus had his eye on his faithful servant. And he saw her sacrificial devotion. And he gave her his commendation. And she never realized it on that day. But today, right now, she is enjoying something of her heavenly reward for that life of sacrificial devotion. Let that be an encouragement to you as you give to the Lord's work and as you serve in the Lord's work. The Lord has his eye on his faithful servants. And he sees their sacrificial devotion. And he gives his commendation, well done, well done, good and faithful servants. And one day you will enter into your heavenly reward for these things. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the challenge and the warning and the encouragement that we find in these few verses and we see Jesus pointing out to us some of the hallmarks of false religion. How it is characterized by pride and greed and hypocrisy. And how these things receive ultimately the greater condemnation. And so, Father, help us to beware of these things. Help us to turn away from them whenever they surface in our own lives. We confess, Father, we are so prone to these very sins. Forgive us and change us, we pray. And help us instead to pursue true religion, which, as Jesus points out here, is marked with sacrificial devotion to you. And we know, Father, that we all have different lives, we have different gifts, we have different financial circumstances. And so help us to be wise in what we give and how we serve. But however much or little we can give, and however much or little we're able to serve, nonetheless, may our hearts be given over to the kind of sacrificial devotion that this poor widow demonstrated. And we thank you that even though we are but unworthy servants, in your grace, we receive your commendation and your reward for serving you. Thank you for your grace towards us. Help us to serve you well for your glory's sake. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.